and welcome to Beyond Lithium, the podcast that looks at the future of clean energy storage beyond the third element. I'm your host, Nate Kirchhofer. My guest today is Ilya Pavel, an independent consultant on energy storage technologies who has worked with companies such as UL on building out their energy storage leadership. Ilya also is a powerful, positive voice online, sharing incisive insights on the renewable energy and storage industry, predominantly on LinkedIn and at conferences. So keep an eye out for him there. Ilya, thanks so much for joining today. Hi, Nate. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. So I have three questions to ask you today, but they're kind of meaty questions. So I think there's a lot to discuss in each, and I just want to dig right into it. So... First off, you have written and talked quite a bit about the real cost of energy storage. I want to start there. When we talk about the price of energy storage, what factors do we need to take into account? I'm thinking energy density, degradation, lifetime, round-trip efficiency, safety, levelized cost of energy, things like that. That's a great question. Um, it's actually a very hard one to answer. You mentioned a few factors and some of them are quite well measurable and others are a bit more elusive. For example, I call them the hard factors, like the, the ones that are good to measure, like cost, even degradation, I consider a measurable factor, energy and power densities for sure, lifetime. And there's other costs like soft costs, like the continu continuity of supply, that is what happens in bankruptcy or what about safety can be measured that can be put a price on that on that asset accessibility to financing which is related to the other factors obviously and also the flexibility of the technology itself in different applications that's a very important factor what happens if you found a good business case, install an asset, but then you learn that you have to move to a different one and you have to change your capacity, change your asset. Is it possible or is it not possible? And there's technologies to kind of adapt better than others. I hadn't really thought about safety as being one of these hard to define things. You know, it's a, a benefit that we talk about with certain types of batteries, like flow batteries, which is what I work on. It's definitely a consideration for people with, you know, lithium ion projects. And I wonder if there are any schemes that you know of for quantifying any aspect of battery safety. That one strikes me as being really important, but also really poorly defined. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, of course, standards have developed over time for battery safety and they help to judge installations. I mean, the thing is that these standards sometimes are treated as a bare minimum to meet. UL 9540A comes to mind when assessing energy storage safety, especially fire safety. So what happens in a case of failure? Does a fire propagate, right? And this is what is measured. And yes, I think it's probably underrated factors. So meeting the bare minimum is probably not good enough. And also not all technologies are the same, especially if you go beyond lithium, which is the name of this podcast. <laughs> well, let's go beyond lithium a little bit right now. I want to 
bring this way of thinking to some of the types of batteries that we have out there in the world right now. So we have lithium ion, there's these redox flow batteries, which are conventionally made with vanadium dissolved in acid. There's lead acid batteries. <clears throat> we have iron flow, which is sort of the longer duration. There's other mechanical energy storage. I'm thinking, given these costs that we're talking about, what do you think the most suitable applications are for each type of batteries? Okay. Lead acid, actually, I'm not sure if it will continue to play a big role in stationary, at least utility scale storage. The leading technology is lithium ion, although I should mention that there are really several different kinds of technologies. So it it's a wide range when talking about lithium ion, you talk about really a wider range of, of technologies. And you mentioned the flow batteries, most prominent example is obviously vanadium flow. Sodium sulfur um, probably is also a technology that has been used in the past as well. So it really comes down to you can distinguish these technologies by their sweet spot of duration, right? In the past, it has been said that lithium ion is good for very high power, shorter duration storage, like minutes to two hours, maybe four hours. And then other technologies should be more beneficial. But we also have seen tenders and rounds that have been published that show that lithium ion can be very competitive up to eight hours and longer. So mm -hmm. it is really, it seems to be a very attractive solution nowadays. And it also seems to be a very flexible solution. And it is driven mainly by the advancements in cost by electric mobility. So the stationary lithium battery cost has been driven down by the uptake in electric mobility. Mm. Right? This is my opinion. I think it's backed by studies. I cannot cite a study right now, but it nourishes from that development, from that drive. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned one aspect about the storage duration being tied to the chemistry. That has implications for the power to energy capacity ratio, which is one of the things that we think about when we're installing batteries. So certain batteries can have a really large energy capacity, be able to discharge for up to say a hundred hours because their storage tank or their storage component is really large compared to the power output is sort of at the center of the battery. And that's one side of it. And we think about the levelized cost of all of that hardware. But then I know that you've talked in the past too about the revenue side of that. And we, you know, we can think about like, what do we actually generate in terms of profit from these batteries? So we have the cost side, but what do you think about the revenue side for these different types of batteries as well? Yeah, that relates again. I think I meant that's, that's a very good point. And I think that's a crucial point, right? For every investment, you have to justify it this investment and it has to make an impact or in a business case, it has to make some money. It has to generate cash flow and a profit. So that's, that's how it's working. This is also how you make sure that you build the right regulatory environment 
for companies to make the right choices in investment and the best solution, the most efficient solution will survive, will actually win this game, if it makes sense. So you mentioned, for example, vanadium redox flow batteries can scale independently power and capacity. That makes, that makes them very flexible because in, in, in theory, you could just add more liquid to the same number of stacks and increase energy capacity. Although I have to say that on a product level, that is not as easy as it sounds in theory, but you don't have this level of flexibility in lithium ion batteries. You pick either a power cell or an energy cell, there's, there's several types of cells, and then you have a fixed ratio. Exactly. Thanks for those insights. I just wanted to clarify one thing when you're talking about this revenue or this, we want these batteries to be profitable. Do we want them to be profitable for the people that are building the batteries? Do we want them to be profitable for the people that then install and own the batteries? How are you thinking about that? Oh, that is interesting. I attended an MIT Europe conference the last two days here in Vienna, and there was a lots of interesting discussions and one was around sustainability and one pillar is not the right word but one aspect of sustainability is economic viability obviously and so in order to have a sustainable business case i think it must make sense for the supplier for the integrator for the operator for the ones that are financing that thing and also for the ones that benefit from the storage service. Of course, sustainability opens another wild field and there's more than just economy, but this is, I think this is also an important aspect of sustainability. Yes, there must be a viable business case around this. Yeah, that's an <laughs> underreported piece of the sustainability story, right? We talk about manufacturability. We think about the source of the materials that are being used and the geopolitical forces around that. But, you know, I, I think I say this probably on every episode, but your environmentalist projects have to make economic sense or they won't yes. happen because we live in a society where that matters. And yeah. I think the word sustainability sort of feels like a political word, but what it really means is we want to be able to sustain the production of something for the long term. And that means through all aspects that relate to it. So I really appreciate that comment. I think it's, yes. uh, it's super it's, valid. I would just say if, if, if somebody listens to this, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that sustainability is not about ec ecological uh, impact, about the environment, about society, about health and safety. But as I said, and you made it clear, it should also include the economic sustainability, because I think you can say a lot of bad things about capitalism and markets, but there's one good thing that if we do it right, they will lead to efficient solutions. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's just such an important point, right? A lot of what we talk about can be politicized because you hear these little sound bites, but if we can define these words properly, then we can help people understand what we mean and why it's so important for us to have sustainable energy technologies. All right. So I've got one more question for you. One final question. 
when we're starting to think about cities and factories and really big batteries and consumers are weighing their energy storage options, are they looking at levelized costs? Are they analyzing their projects some other way when they're thinking about these finances? And if they are doing that or if they're not doing that, how can we guide them to think about this sustainability and this cost? Yeah, that is, that is, it's a key question to answer. And probably I'm not the financing expert to it. There's really lots of clever people out there that can probably better answer this question than myself, but I give you my idea. Levelized cost of storage, I made some contributions to that topic myself years ago. And actually also years ago, when I started my energy storage business, we had a hard time to educate people about that not the capex matter, the initial, the first cost, but also you to have to take into account the, the running cost, the lifetime cost. Of course, we made at that time I was working for a flow battery company, and that's part of the pitch that you have a system that is probably higher in first cost, but lower on operational cost and it doesn't degrade that much. And so people have to first understand when they make the choice of a battery technology, they have to first get a clear picture of what they want from that storage. That might sound stupid, but it's true. If you dig deeper, if you approach by people, you still have to help them to understand how a storage system can make money, right? How it can generate profit. And then you have to sit down, okay, let's take that, build the business case, build cash flow model out of it and analyze it. I often used also in the past for comparison reasons, the levelized cost of storage methodology. It's good to compare, but it takes into account already a few assumptions. For example, it accounts for the application itself. So you can actually tweak the result by whatever application, how much throughput you have. You get a, you get a very beneficial levelized cost or a very bad levelized cost, depending on what technology you would pick. So you have to make sure that you compare apples to apples. I think that is an important point because a lot of these different energy storage technologies have different specifications. So even when I think about lithium ion, there are certain regulations about the way they can be packed. If you think about number of kilowatt hours per meter squared of batteries that are installed, that might be less than you'd be able to get for flow batteries, for example. And there's other specifications or specs as we call them such as the energy density. We think about kilowatt hours per kilogram a lot of times for lithium ion because we're concerned about how much they weigh. But when you think about kilowatt hours per kilogram of a flow battery, it's going to be way lower because those batteries weigh a lot more because their energy storage is in liquid. And it's maybe inappropriate to compare those two specifications. And if you just look at a spec sheet, you might miss the fact that the flow battery would be really good for your application or the lithium ion battery would be really good for your application or something else altogether. The point is well taken that it's good to actually dig in to how these batteries work and how they impact the cash flow and 
I, I wonder, do you do you think about it in terms of like net present value calculations? You mentioned cash flow analysis. Are there other mm -hmm. are, are there like internal revenue calculations and things like that that you're thinking about? Yeah, I know that the internal rate of return IRR it is a very famous tool. I personally don't like it that much because you can actually retrieve all the information you get in late, at least in my opinion, please, all finance guys, correct me and shout at me. But I think that the net present value contains all that information. You see how fast the amortization is. You can do scenario analysis. IRR sometimes leads to strange results if you have an unconformant cash flow. So conformant cash flow starts with a expense. And then you have positive revenue. If you start to have negative cash flow in the middle, it can lead to double results. So I don't think it's a very good tool, although I know it's very famous. The levelized cost, in fact, because I mentioned that before, it's a very good tool. Nowadays, I would say it's an academic tool. It's good for to make comparison, to make different technologies comparable, but it also is a special case of the net present value calculation. You can derive the underlying formula for LCOS from net present value calculation. That's right. I think mm -hmm. people don't realize that we're discounting the future in that calculation sometimes. And I guess that is one of humanity's great features is that we can discount the future, the risk of the future, maybe too much because we... <laughs> We don't feel urgent enough about it at some points. I think you make an important point, discount. I didn't have touched this, this at all, at least not directly. The IRR is a representation of this discount factor for sure. But of course, how you set the discounting factor in a net present value, in a capital value calculation is a is science in itself. I think tons of books have been written on that subject. And I don't think it's an easy topic how to set the cost of capital so at least this not. is something that where i'll definitely leave my level of competence and would be great to have somebody on your show that can explain that well in my, in my experience too you know any any sort of calculation like that the only thing we know for certain is that it's going to be wrong because <laughs> the future is just not known so i mean like you said it's really challenging well, I, I want to finish up by asking you one final thing. Do you have any advice for people that are looking to get into clean tech and renewable energy? And this could be comments about how to think about things or how to pursue jobs or how to communicate about clean tech generally, anything like that, that you think is worth sharing broadly. It's hard to answer. I mean, it's probably hard to answer because there's so many things to tell or to take into account one advice would be stay interested stay skeptic don't believe everything you hear especially when you hear about the new breakthrough in energy storage and batteries there's one every other week and stick to the principles of physics and try to read as much as possible about the topic i think those are great pieces of advice and I think we could all, we could all take know. that advice. Never stop learning, like something like that. Yeah, <laughs> As yeah. In every other industry. Probably I should not really 
get off this podcast without saying one of my favorite quotes for everybody that wants to venture into battery storage. There's liars, bad liars, and battery suppliers. Well, as a battery component manufacturer, I hope to avoid that stigma. Yes. The thing is, I was a strong believer for all my career in energy storage that there is an alternative technology to lithium ion. What I see now is there's a certain window where this technology has to appear. I think obviously there's also other prospects, lithium sulfur and solid state batteries around the corner. So the time window to emerge and to commercialize for flow batteries, for example, is closing, I would say. So lithium ion batteries, as I said, have, have proven to go beyond the four hours into the eight hour duration, probably can do longer because of their massive declining cost and gotcha. other technology advancement. It's just a proven technology. The others have really the problem to be very good ideas on a good way to commercialize a lot of money. So mm -hmm. a lot of trust also flows into these technologies nowadays, but this is a bet. And we have to see they come along, right? Mm -hmm. These technologies have to bridge the valley of death. Yes. They have to get through. It's capital intensive industry. If one makes it, probably can can be a game changer, can can make a lot of money. But what company that is today, I wouldn't make it that. I see. <laughs> so are you thinking that the the lithium ion batteries have just a huge first mover advantage? Yes. And because of that, it's, it's most likely that the financing will go towards them. The projects will be awarded to them. Is that what your comment I is about? I see that uh, this is, this is what happens. It's probably mm -hmm. not my opinion. This is what happens. They're just bankable. I mean, there's lots of problems, but there's also companies that address real-time monitoring. And so really it will be interesting to see. I still believe as I stay. Because I think the storage industry and also the applications the world needs more alternatives. I mean, it would be really interesting to come together again in like 20, 30 years and see, okay, yeah. look, look what we discussed 30 years ago, <laughs> how stupid we were. All right. I'll put it on the calendar. I think it's a good <laughs> idea. Yeah. You'll be episode number 2,397. Yeah. If I'm around, funny. you can call me. I, I have yeah. to discuss with you then. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's an interesting point. So when you say the window for flow batteries is closing, is that just because of financial considerations or is there something else that you see that's sort of impeding them or threatening their existence? What I mean by that is it's it's every day it gets harder with with each kilowatt hour installed on lithium ion it adds to the um, track record so it even takes more you have to not equal but you have to offer mm. a better solution to just outweigh this track record and every day it makes it harder for these alternative technologies to emerge i mean we know there's organic flow batteries that can really go cheap in cost vanadium for example they also rely on a rather expensive material, vanadium, mm -hmm. right? Yes. It's related to the steel industry. It will be interesting to see how fast they can bridge this valley of death and survive. 
this is what I also post a lot of uh, quite often. Mm -hmm. It will be interesting race to see and just hope the best wins. Absolutely. And it, the key point I think is that we just urgently need to deploy, like it's better, yes. it's better to do and to fail fast and to innovate quickly than it is to think about what might happen. Absolutely. I can only hundred percent with you. We have to, we have to deploy fast. We have to go renewable, especially in Europe, right? Mm -hmm. We have a big push right now. We are really forced at least in Europe to go beyond the traditional fossil fuel. Renewable energy and storage also has an impact on our environment. Yeah. We mine a lot. We, we might even mine more minerals than ever before for the good, for the green. But if you look at these mines, they are not green and they don't look sustainable at all. They're pretty ugly. And also putting large solar plants in the middle in a nice landscape doesn't look very nice. And I can understand people complaining about this topic, but that's really a whole new topic that centers around the word sustainability. What does it really mean? I think we have to make a choice. We can probably not compare one to each other, but we have to make a choice. What is more acceptable? For example, you can choose to pollute the air. It's invisible, but unhealthy, or you'd visually pollute the landscape with windmills and solar plants and also storage, ugly storage containers. But probably it's that the air is cleaner. It's better. It's more sustainable. The topic is complex and as I don't think there's easy answers to that. And we have to accept at some point that probably humankind has the biggest impact on environment and nature. And that's, that's something we have to accept. So there's no technology that has no impact. That's right. And I think there's an aspect of reorienting what we see as beautiful, right? There's a communication and sustainability thing there that we, we need to say like, no, the, the wind farm is beautiful because it's functional, because it's helping society. And we should appreciate how it looks because of what it's doing, right? There's this mindset shift rather yeah. than the not in my backyard, so the NIMBY thing that everyone wants renewable energy, but they don't want to look at the solar panels right next yeah. door. You know, they don't want to look at the, the battery system, but it's like, well, we got to put them somewhere. <laughs> it's something we should dig deeper at some point. Well, I think that's one thing that you do really well is through your communications, you bring people along on this messaging journey, because that's really what this is, is like batteries are beautiful. Wind farms are beautiful. You know, what's not beautiful pollution and burning fossil fuels. And we've built things around that. Like we've got muscle cars, like, a, you know, how much gas can I burn? Like that's what the status yeah. symbol, but let's reorient it and make a new status symbol. Like how renewable can I be? Maybe I'm net carbon negative. Maybe I'm taking CO2 out of the atmosphere and storing that some way. And like, that's the new mark of. It's, it's a new cool. I think that's a really good point. That we can work. Every individual can contribute to that conversation, not as a missionary, but really try to convince that's for the better that society profits or Benefits. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what I appreciate about your work is the, your communications along those lines.
really provide a positive outlook that people can rally around. So thank you. Thanks, Nate. Yeah, yeah. it was very interesting, insightful discussion with you. Absolutely. Thank you again for being here. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. And with that, that's all the time we have. Thanks for tuning in. Again, I'm Nate Kirchhofer, co-founder and CEO of BioZen Batteries, which produces this show as part of the Clean Power Media Group. My guest was Ilya Pavel, independent consultant and star communicator on renewable energy and storage technologies. If you'd like to interact more, please visit cleanpower.media or send us an email at hello at biozenbatteries.com. Please write a comment, like, follow, share, or even leave us a voice message on your favorite episodes. Many thanks to Curtis Warden for the great theme music and Abe Mesrich for helping with all the little things behind the scenes. Be sure to join us next time on the Beyond Lithium podcast. Mm-hmm.